it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. You get busy dying. Get you to introduce yourself and let me check your mic levels here. Hello, I'm Johannes Blahauser. I'm Kaiser on the message boards, and if you can understand this, my mic level should be excellent. You sound good. Welcome to the show. How have you been? Yeah. Um, I'm good. Um, just still relaxing from Worlds a couple of weeks ago, and I haven't touched my cards much since. And I'm ex actually I'm trying to get my hands on One E at the moment. You're getting into One E. Is this? Did you used to play One E, or would this be your first foray uh, into first edition? Um, I've collected a bit, starting with the very first set with the white border premier, and bought a couple of boosters every now and then for my pocket money. But I never, I never actually played. So I have cards going all the way back to Ultimate Universe and Q Continuum. But they don't have complete sets or anything like that. So um, at the moment, I'm printing all the virtual cards and trying to get into the game. So what 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 has made yeah. you want to get into One E after all these years? Um, I think it's just the, the new stuff coming out. So um, I always uh, liked watching guys playing One E, for example, at Worlds. I really enjoyed standing there and just looking at those tables flooded in cards, and you cannot understanding what's going on if you're a two player only and I thought with all those cheap cards available now where you can buy whole boxes for for a tenner or so I thought maybe I'll whenever I have the time maybe I'll build a deck and try to you know just for fun to have a deck ready whenever somebody wants to play a game of 1e don't think I will get into 1e and try to be competitive but just have a deck or two ready for fun are there one e players in your area that you'll get to play with? Um, not in the in the vicinity here, but um, I like the idea of having a one e deck with me when I go to big conventions. For example, um, this weekend the Grob is running, and there are always one e players there. I cannot participate there this year, but for next year or whenever the next Continentals is coming up and there's a one e side event. Maybe I'll, I'll try to play with the guys and get smashed horribly. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I was I played um, last year at Gen Con in the One E Worlds just to avoid a buy. It was a lot of fun and it really got me back into the game. So, um, I know for a while there was a, a you weren't able to play very much. Is that still the case, or are you able to get to play more outside of the big tournaments? Um, I hope that I'm. I will get to play more now. Um, I've moved recently, so six, eight weeks ago. Um, and actually, I'm about two hours away from Prague, from the Czech Republic now. And I hope to drive over to Vladimir and the other great, uh, great Czech guys and maybe join their tournaments every now and then or have them come over. So I hope that I will be able to play a bit more now. Because as you said, it used to be only regionals, continentals during the past couple of years, so that's where I spent my money, but there weren't too many regular tournaments. 
because we just don't have the player base here in the south of Germany. Well, good. I mean, it's always good to see people playing. That's the whole point. So, uh, the, yeah. the 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 season we're in right now is is always called the off season. Um, people tend to play less. They tend to focus on you know the holidays and things like that. The big tournaments are over. Regionals are as far away as they can be. What type of stuff do you like to do in the off season to keep you invested in in the game, even if you don't get to play? Well, the first thing I ha always have to do after Worlds and after the season is sort through all my cards again. Because I usually always come home with uh, all my decks um, in different sleeves and loose cards everywhere. And it usually takes me a, a couple of weeks until I get everything sorted back and then try to make a little list of, okay, which cards did I give away, which cards are no longer in my collection, and try to, to hunt all those downs. For example, at the moment I'm missing two graph plating traps. I, I think I have uh, enough for two decks, but um, I gave two away and I'm still missing, missing them. So that's usually one of the very first things I have to do in the off-season, just try to see what do I have. And usually when I look through my cards, then every now and then I come across a card and have a look at it. Okay, I never used that one much. Maybe I could do something with it and try to get new ideas from that. Or, okay, I've seen this card used by a player at Worlds uh, in a way I wasn't expecting. So um, maybe I'll, I'll look into it and see what I can do with that. And from that, it's just um, try to build decks with affiliations that I haven't used much during the season. For example, um, this time... Um, I think I want to try Romulans again. I played Romulans a year ago at Continentals and haven't touched them since. And at the moment I think Romulans are one of the affiliations that can hurt some of the decks that are very strong at the moment. So Romulans is probably the thing to go for me next. Yeah, I, I was disappointed not to see a Romulan deck running around on day two of Worlds or, or even day one. Because far-seeing eyes could have really hurt some of the Starfleet stuff, and and maybe maybe put, maybe even stop the Terok Nord deck with some luck, uh, some good early draws and some lucky points. You could have gotten rid of that stuff, and that deck could have been hurting. Yeah, but you know Romulans are tough; they're hard to play. Exactly, I think Romulans are one of the affiliations that have um, the most support cards, the most cultural. Um, thingies, events, and interrupts, and it's just uh, so many, so many tools in the toolbox, and you have to focus on a couple of them and, and use them effectively. There's always the danger, at least for me, that is, um, that you want to add too many things into one deck, and then it gets cluttered, and you end up with a card clog your hand, and you can only use them late game. And apart from the Galgapong deck and the Wariness deck, I haven't had much success with Romulans in the past, so let's see what I can do with them. One of the things I noticed about them recently is that they're they're starting to get cards that have costs of discard an event from hand to use their abilities. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I, I have been working on a Romulan deck that's it's like 120 cards, and it's just, you know, it has all of their events in it. And some extra drawing and stuff, but my thought being, it doesn't matter if you draw the event you don't want early, because you can throw it away to activate one of your abilities somewhere, so. 
yeah, there's always something you can do with it. You can unstop the stooges, or I think um, um, you can use the um, extra copies of unique Romulans for sent back. I think that requires you to discard mm -hmm. Romulan cards, if I remember correctly. The so yeah, I, c I can see a, a big Romulan deck being a lot of fun to play. What what is your your favorite affiliation to play? If you could only play one affiliation forever, what would you pick? Oh, that's a tough question. I think um, I've had the most fun with Bajorans. Because um, they are... I really like their theme. I like the working with the discard pile thingy a lot. And also the difference between the profit side and the uh, Pavrex side. So, Bajorans were one of the affiliations I, I always wanted to play when I started. And back then I didn't have a Bajoran headquarters to begin with, so I had to trade for them. Uh, and it, for a long time, Bajoran Integrity was my deck of choice for for big events, because they are speedy, you can play um, seven games without a lot of thinking, you can just throw down your cards. But there's also other stuff you can do with Bajorans. You can do combat decks with just like old times, or you can you can do just so much with your with the discard pile. I think it was two years ago when um, Sebastian Kirstein had a, a huge Bajoran deck with about a hundred cards, and he he just used so many tools to to get all the cards he wanted at the right time, put them in the discard pile, get them back whenever he wanted it, and he, was just a kind of Bajoran stalling deck, and that was that was really huge. And if I had to play only one affiliation, I think I might go for the Bajorans because there's so much you can do with them. They do have a lot of options. Not not all of them are equally good, but they are. In fact, I think I think you and I have only played twice uh, three years ago. Yeah, I and think so. we played in day one with you played Bajorans and and beat me. And then we played again in day two, and you played Borg and, and beat me. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So I love Bajorans were what I played forever, from Energize to Reflections era, and until Starfleet came out, I pretty much played Bajorans every week because I really like them. So I'm with you. Yeah. And I'd like to see some support for the non-integrity side again. I mean, there there have been a couple of very nice cards in the past, like um, the, what's it called, Bassatronic, who um, can get attributes by removing cards in the discard pile, but again, you could use that card again in the integrity deck, and I'd really like to see some support for the Bajoran resistance side, for the, um, the combat and strength, things like that. Yeah, I, I think that's a unexplored area that can be boosted to given its own deck, really. Alright, well, a lot has gone on in the last week or so. Um, we've got period of review stuff going on. We've got CRD. Yeah. We've got organized play review. Let's uh -huh. let's just talk about some of that stuff. What what kind of current events have, have caught your eye or concerned you or made you happy to see something happening? Well, um, to start, I was very happy to see um, the new current rulings document. Um, I think there were some things addressed that are good for the game. Um, the lustful distraction in uh, Eredom was 
probably not what it uh, was intended to be, but I think you you guys did a, a good job on on fixing that right away after the um, possible abuse was was pointed out by, by the community. Um, I was surprised to see Captain on the bridge, um, which is now unique. Um, it was it was never much of a problem, I think, but I have no problem with that with that decision because I'm I'm not a fan of replaying Kirk again and again for only two counters, the original Thinker Kirk. And I... even though he's he's one of the best counters to the Legacy Dilemma pile, um, I just don't like the ability of um, getting a dilemma for free every turn. I think it's it's still a bit too strong. So um, I'm okay with that one. I think that Kirk is still you can still replay him every turn. You just have to pay a little more for it. Exactly. And, and him being a, a TOS personnel costs more than four. You can do some trickery with it to get him in cheaper. I, I think it's still good. I, I mean, it's not two counters anymore, but it's it's definitely good. And more importantly, that was one of... This Captain on the Bridge was essentially the exact same situation as Party Atmosphere was back when it was eroded. Mm-hmm. The, the fact that it was out there to, as non-unique and doing what it's doing was putting the brakes on design's ability to make... Expensive commanders with cool abilities because you could just exactly. get them into play yeah. cheaper. Same thing with party atmosphere. You you couldn't make events without artificially inflating their cost. So Fine. I don't necessarily I I don't believe there was a specific problem with Captain on the Bridge. I don't think it was targeted at Kirk. I think that's a, a very happy side effect. I think it was really done yeah. because it was keeping cool commanders from coming into the game because they'd always come in too cheap. I mean, there are there are still lots of, of um, personnel that um, that you could make a, a commander version of. For example, all the guys who commanded the Enterprise D in, in Next Generation, you can make a commander version of of Troy. You can make a commander version of, of Beverly. And as you said, um, now you have more options of, of making cool cards without making them, as you said, artificially um, overcosted or something like that. Now so. you you played. The headset Wayun deck. What are your thoughts on that errata? Um, I'm not sure yet. Um, I haven't looked into all the all the effects of, of the way it was changed. Now, I have to say, I'm I'm not a huge fan of um, the headset now requiring a non terrakno personnel because um, I think that makes it a bit too specific. So you always have to have that one non-Terrignor personnel uh, in your hand. You, you cannot use it um, just to to, uh, to play an additional personnel, uh, a non-abusive personnel that you happen to have in your hand and you have um, guys that you can stop. Then you can just drop another Terrignor personnel. And I think that's something I'm going to miss. Um, it certainly makes Wayun a, a bit less abusive. You can still play him. You can still get the downloads. You can download him again with bustling, but you don't have you don't get the interaction with friction anymore. So I'm not sure how the whole deck works without friction. It was certainly a a, a big factor in it, and I don't think it will work as well without friction. But you c- you can still use way to um to target certain personnel that you want to get out out of the game or at least bury them on the bottom of the deck. 
I, I always um, felt Wayun yeah. was more of a, a sniper than a lockout tool. Um, yeah. Friction, friction it, without friction, on my turn, I can play guys and use them at least once. Yeah. Whereas exactly. with friction, you can remove anybody you want before I even get to do anything with them. So for that reason alone, I think it's going to help. But there is a little collateral damage there with with uh, what you're talking about. But I, I like that solution better than if it had said, like a 1E card, if it had said, you know, place a Dominion personnel except Wayun or something. That would have been just yeah. really clunky. No, no, that's not the way to go. I don't like uh, specific <laughs> names of, of cards on, on other cards. That's not a good way of designing cards. I agree completely. So, um, I'm not sure I will, I will play the Wayun deck again or, or see how it, how it goes because I think, um, when you talked, um, to Tyler a couple of weeks ago, he already said that, um, in playtesting, we didn't see Wayun as strong as it turned out to be, as, as abusive as it turned out to be because we, we tested it against very good players, against the, the current world champion and, and very strong decks. So we probably just didn't realize how strong it actually was. And it's also one of the decks that I didn't enjoy as much as, as I enjoyed playing other decks. So, um, for me, the, um, the, the fun playing wasn't, wasn't there in, for example, in the same way that, um, that two years, uh, one year ago at Continentals I had with the Romulan Varenus deck. Mm-hmm. It was another deck that we had a very slow setup. You, you would spend 10, 12 turns just drawing cards and playing one expensive guy per turn and just all the while trying to get, um, with the Varenus deck it was trying to get out the event destruction of your opponent's deck with the unit was getting out the leadership. Um, but, um, with the Varenus deck I had a lot more fun doing that than with the Ryu deck. So, it was good for, for Worlds. It was probably a, a one-trick pony. I'm not sure it's, it's still viable now. But, um, I certainly won't, won't cry tears for the deck. So, good rinse to it. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> so, what wasn't in the CRD that you were expecting, if anything? Um, I was surprised that the rituals weren't addressed. Um, I don't think they are, um, bad for the game, as it were, but I just don't like the fact that everybody stocks three of their three rituals and three climate tea ceremonies. I just, I just don't like that, that people go, these are six cards that I can add to any deck, and it's, no matter what, they're, apart from some very, very strange decks that have to get certain cards into the hands during the order phase, for example, Ferengi decks or something like that, um, there's just no reason not to run them. And I thought, well, you, you might as, may, as well make it a rule, the, the download stuff and, and shopping the, your deck pile. And I was surprised that this wasn't addressed. I mean, I, I can live with it, but I just don't like the fact that they are auto-includes. If they were, if they were unique, then at least, um, there's no incentive to run three of them, because at some point they would cut your hand. So, or if they costed one. If, if they were unique, wouldn't they just be, wouldn't everybody just run three of them and then three optimisms? Wouldn't those still be auto, auto include? Um, I don't think so, because optimism is, is, is a great card, but it's also a very costly card. It costs you three cards to play it, 
um, just for the off chance that you can um, turn uh, additional copies of unique cards into draws. And if your opponent decides to just cancel optimism, then you've waited half a turn's worth of counters. So I think it's uh, in some cases it would be better to just make them unique. And if you really uh, are worried about um, drawing additional copies and you want to, st uh, to run optimism with it, then well, just do it. But um, it's not as easy as as if as when you're uh, able to just play three of them without doing anything else. And also, I don't like the side effect of everybody having huge um, numbers of events in the core. It does clutter think, the table a little. Yeah, and I think some players have gone back to, to running Desperate Sacrifice already. I think that's a nice trend. I haven't seen that card in a, in a long while. And it's, it's going to be printable next year, which will, yeah. you know, if the situation persists, it'll be, you can get it in tournament kits now, but you'll be able to print it in a year. So Right. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a good way to keep them in check because other than zero hour, there's not much punishes you for having uh, huge numbers of call, uh, of events in your call. And zero hour to me isn't that that big of a threat. It's it certainly does not uh, it, it's not enough for me to to say okay, well then I'll just cut down on the number of events I run. Just zero hour for me is it's just one dilemma. If I get hit get hit by it one time, okay whatever, usually I have some way of reducing the number of events in my call with Navarre or something else. Yeah. So, um, now, if there were other, other things like Zero Hour, then maybe that's, that could change my mind on that. So, so this is this a situation where maybe there's something coming down the pipeline from design to deal with this situation? So the rules committee said, let's wait and see, because when it comes down to it, they're not harming the game they may not be you know ideal they might be messy and everybody might be using them and, and maybe maybe you're not that's bad but their lustful distraction was was harming the game yeah i see what you mean you know there, there's no reason like you said brad couldn't write five new cards that hammer you for having too many events in your core and then people will naturally stop running as many copies and it will it, will it could it balance itself out and, the, and in that situation is it okay that they weren't addressed right now um, I think, yeah, uh, as you describe it now, I think, uh, that's, that's actually okay. As you said, they, they don't actually hurt the game that much. Um, they don't make it, um, a very, a very diverse deck building, um, theme at the moment. If you just add those to every deck you build. But if over time there are some new elements in the game that will balance it out a bit, then of course, it's okay for the room uh, committee to just say, let's let's keep them in play for a for a little while, maybe until the next expansion comes out, and then the situation will be gone anyway. So if um, if there are plans to address that already in design, then sure we can, especially in the off season, we can we can wait um, two or three months. I think nobody nobody um, will will cry shock and horror. Probably you're right. So the other big thing in my mind was was Starfleet, and it's on the watch list, but it wasn't in the CRD. What were your thoughts on that? I was surprised um, to see that because if you have a look at the Starfleet decks at Worlds, um, there were twelve in about fifty-four 
players to work starting decks. And I don't think that was only because of the, of the novelty value of the, of the new um, team that was released at peak performance. I think most of those starting decks were were played because they are actually that strong. And um, I mean, Archer has been discussed to death already, and it. Ha some players have uh, rightfully pointed out that there are very, very easy dilemmas to stop Starfleet. For example, Outclass still works most of the time. Tactical Disadvantage, Gorgon, all those cards work against Starfleet. In development is a great one. So there are ways to stop um, Archer decks with, with dilemmas. Um, I just don't like the fact that most dilemmas that you can use to stop Starfleet are non-skill dilemmas which means that they will hurt your Dilemma Pile if you run into a Legacy Dilemma Pile, which I think, in turn, makes the Legacy Pile um, the sensible thing to play with Starfleet. So my my fear is a bit that Starfleet Legacy Piles will will be very dominating for, for a while. Um, Legacy is another one of those cards that, that you can argue back and forth about um, you know, nerfing it a bit, but I think at the moment it's it's a bit uh, still a bit too powerful. Good players will find a way to play around it, I'm sure, but it's still very tempting to build to build a deck and know that you, if you're a decent player, that you can um, just run over other players that are that they do not have the cards or the experience to play around such a powerful engine. One thing I have noticed is right after Worlds happened and that, that, that week after, there was very strong public opinion against Archer and Legacy. But over the last month, since then, it has really, t it is almost, I'm not going to say it's swung all the way the other way, but there have definitely been a lot of posts saying, Archer's not that bad to beat, you know, I played him and this and Legacy you can play around. It, it, is that... Are people just being overconfident, or is it possible to that the meta can self-correct for these cards, or or do they are they going to need to be changed down the road? In, in your opinion. Um. Well, first of all, I have to say I'm I'm guilty of of that as well because uh, when I came home from Worlds, I was um very very excited and um, also angry a bit, and um in the first couple of days right after Worlds, um. I couldn't imagine a, a playing environment where those cards were allowed to continue to exist in their current form. But if you, you know, step away from it for, uh, for a week or two and then even, uh, try to evaluate the situation anew, then maybe you get to realize that, well, it's, it's not all that bad. And I have to say, I've, I've changed my mind on, on a couple of, of issues, for example, right off the world's. Uh, I said, well, Legacy has to be changed, the Rituals have to be changed, Archer has to be changed, and Wayun has to be changed. Um, I still think that it's that the situation is not ideal and that some of the things should be changed in in some form, but I'm, I'm no longer of the opinion that um, they, they will completely destroy the game if they are allowed to, uh, to stay in that form. Um, I probably strayed a bit away from the question, so um, what were really asking me? 
it, basically, I was just wondering if if now that everybody and being excited post worlds and all that that's that's perfectly natural that's normal that happens every year but i was just wondering if if now that things have calmed down a bit if you think the meta will be able to correct for legacy and archer or if you think they're going to need to be addressed in the future i think so uh, i think the meta uh, will be able to to adjust um i think there's there's a lot a lot of um untapped room for example, to play against Legacy, I've just gone through the statistics for Worlds um, uh, Day 1 decks, the top 16 decks, and I was really, really surprised by how little, uh, how few um, skill dilemmas were actually used. Um, so, looking at these statistics, the non-Legacy powers had only about just over a third of um, of the dilemmas as, as skill dilemmas, so just 34% of them were skill dilemmas. And of course, that will not stand a chance against the legacy pile. Um, but I'm sure every player will find um, some dilemmas in, in his or her dilemma pile that they can take out and exchange for skill-based dilemmas and try to, to get the number up a bit. I don't think 50% skill dilemmas will be enough to be the legacy power. I think probably even 70% will will be not enough to uh, to beat legacy in the long run. But let's say you take a dilemma pile of, of 40 cards. If you have um, 30 skill uh, dilemmas and about um, 10 or so utility dilemmas, then it still gives you some um, some slots to maybe to deal with Archer, put it in an outclass, put it in, in, in development. You, have, you still have a bit of room for secret identities. So I think the, the dilemma pile is still um, a good way to adjust to the meta at the moment. I'm not sure about the other things, but um, talking about legacy for one, that's that's one area where, where people still have room to to fight legacy. So as you mentioned, as of when we're recording this, the uh, the top 16 day one decks were posted from Worlds. Um, yeah. You had a chance to look at them. What, and I know you you were going to be working on an article later for this, but uh, what yeah. really jumped out at you from those decks? Um, what really jumped out at me, for one thing, um, as far as I know, um, there were only four legacy parts. Um, that were played in uh, by by 54 players in total, and all of them made it into the top 16. And that's probably due to the fact that the people have not yet adjusted to to legacy in the, in the play environment. So that was um, myself, Yuka, who who won day one with only one loss, and also two other players. Um, and those decks were, uh, those dilemma parts were radically different from the others because they had a, a setup of about 10% skill dilemmas, 90%, uh, 10% non skill dilemmas, and 90% skill dilemmas. And they just made um, Legacy an automatic hit against most of the other decks. So when I when I have a look at, for example, John Corbett or Neil Timothy's dilemma parts, they were using Tragic Turn. Of course, they they will be hit by legacy every time. Yeah. So that that was the first thing that um, 
that's really caught my eye. All the legacy majors up there. Yeah. So, so four yeah. legacy piles out of the whole field, but all yeah. four made it to the top sixteen. That's oh, uh, that's what I got. Yeah, um, I think James said that there were only four dilemma piles. He had all the deck lists. I, I I'm gonna have to go back and look at last year's worlds, and see what percentage of top sixteen decks were running Tragic Turn. Because I would, yeah. I would bet it's more than twenty five percent. I would bet it's more than four out of sixteen. So, yeah, tragic turn. I think it was only played by the um, two board players that made it to the top sixteen by Neil and John. They were both playing board simulation, and of course, tragic turn just goes with it. Yeah, that's that's a no brainer. Um, what what I really liked was that apart from the um. Starfleet decks, Starfleet and TOS that were um, the, the big affiliation Starfleet, uh, Archer and TOS Kirk. We had a nice variety of um, of decks in top 16. I see Marquis here, I see Voyager or Equinox, we had Bogus Simulation, we had um, Shane Briley's TOS Sabotage Transporters, um, TOS Clinton deck, that was very, very nice. Um, there was the the Jordan DS9 deck by Peter Vanderhelm, the TNG deck. So we had a really, really good spread other, uh, apart from the um, Starfleet and TOS. And I think that's, um, that also goes to show that the game at the moment is very, very balanced apart from, from those um, cases we were mentioned before. I would um, agree completely. Yeah. So, so I, I missed um, Ferengi a bit. So there were a couple of Ferengi decks, but um, I missed them in the top tier. There, there were some, some very, very nice Ferengi builds um, a while ago. Um, Tala had one that, that used the new um, Thief or, or past Ferengi. So I was surprised to, um, to see them um, at the bottom of the field, because I think they have a lot more potential. Yeah, Klingons were a big... Other than the being, I really only saw the one, the one with the uh, TOS. I, I guess yep. there was a couple other Klingon decks throughout, but they were pretty underrepresented. I didn't see, uh, I didn't see um, Romulans at all. I, oh, there's one, one Romulan deck in the the yeah. low twenties there. Oh, there's another one, but Tarak Nor also didn't really get a lot of play. I I, I expected Tarak Nor not to get a lot of play in day one. Um, but I was I was hoping that a few more people would try it because just rules win counts is awesome. I, I, I guess again yeah. it was I don't think that many people built new decks or radically changed their decks after peak performance came out. Um, some yeah. people did, and it, we've discussed this you know internally and on the show before. But you know releasing a set a month before I, I still stand by the decision, but maybe we won't do that again. I don't know, but. A lot of people tried. It looks like a lot of people played what they were going to play before it came out. So, yeah, um, that's certainly true for myself. Um, I wanted to play um, a speedy Starfleet deck. Um, I had the um, the previous team, the non-human team. I have that deck built, and uh, naturally, if you have a deck like that built, you you take a look at the new cards, um, the new Starfleet cards that were released, and try it. Uh, to see how they fit in there, and well, there was one that I like Travis, okay, I put it in there, I like the new missions, 
put them in there, and then I said, hey, well, actually, this whole new team, apart from a couple of cards, is, is really, really good. And with Archer as the, as the one standout card, um, it was a natural decision to just um, add him those to, to the existing deck. Um, in my case, even up to the point where I just completely um, switched out all the, the previous uh, non-human things and went for for the straight um, for the straight um, death against Pensolver. I even put out all the um, Cyphers Horizon at what cost engine because with um, so much event destruction running around, I figured it's, it's probably not worth it. It will be cancelled anyway. So so yeah, but, but apart from the from the stop it, um, my my next choice would have been TOS Kirk. I already had a deck built, and um, if our playtest session a week before Worlds um, had not shown that Starfleet is so so very strong, I probably would have gone with the TOS Kirk. Now you mentioned event destruction. Did you see a lot of it in the decks that we've looked at so far? Um. Well, event destruction, uh, in the case of Starfleet, they have events uh, shuffling with lustful distraction, and they also have the cheapest graph plating traps in the game with the, with the Trellium D. So, um, yes, in those decks, I certainly saw a lot of event destruction. Um, played against myself, um, I didn't see too much event destruction because I didn't have too many key events out. As I said, I, I didn't have um, a side for Sorise. So my core consisted mostly of the rituals, and then apart from the rituals, I only had um, endangered in there and noble intentions. And I think noble intentions is is the one card um, that really, really can can get a starfleet deck going because you can download um, so many good personnel with it. You always have a, a non-human to get a human if you need one, and the other way around. So I really, really like that card. It costs. Uh, nothing to play. You only have to have six uh, starting personal out, which should be easy by by turn three at the latest. And I really like that the card to get the deck going. So against myself, there wasn't really a lot of event destruction going on because I didn't have too many events that were really worth destroying. Okay. So, anything else that really jumped out at you in looking at the decks? Um. I was surprised by the number of interactive decks because apart from Neil and John who played um, the assimilation, there there wasn't really an, an interactive deck there. Tyler's Marquis, well, um, I think you could call it interactive. Um, it stalls the opponent as long as possible, and also at, at least it, it it flies to uh, the opponent's missions, and he has an and all that warrant there to kill a couple of guys. But apart from those, um, there were no interactive decks at all. So there was no uh, Romulan forcing eyes up there. There was um, no uh, Cadessian capture, which I expected to, to place a lot higher. I think uh, I saw somebody play it, but um, they yeah. didn't, didn't really do too well. Cardassians had a lot of buzz going into the worlds, so... Yeah, and, and I've, I have them as, as a dark horse, de uh, dark horse deck for day two. I think John Corbett played Cardassians on, on day two. And I thought that if there is a deck around that can really, really hurt 
Archer and the um, the Reunion decks, then the Cadassians might have a shot if they get their, their evac out early and, and get lucky. Yeah. But I, th- I think um, also the um, the fact that Starfleet, in addition to Archer and their event destruction and all the stuff they got, uh, the fact that they also got a personnel that can cancel uh, an engagement uh, once per turn, that was probably also an incentive not to run interactive decks. Because if I have to play two battle cards um, just to be able to battle you once, then that's a lot of setup. Okay. Yeah, uh, I need to play two uh, two maneuver cards, and the starter player will probably just uh, cancel one, and maybe has uh, event destruction, and craft lightning trap and have to cancel another one. So look, it's it's really really hard to touch those starter decks with interactive decks that have to to fly over and do something to your ship. With evac, where where you can just hurt the deck, that's probably a different option or stop uh, or passing eyes. I agree. All right, one of the, the things that's going on right now is we're doing the uh, organized play review, yeah. lo- looking at all the stuff that happened over the last year to get everybody's feedback and opinions on that. Uh-huh. Um, as as a player and a member of the community who's not on the organized play team of the continuing committee, what what does that mean to you? How do you how do you react to something like that? Do you go ahead? Well. What I usually do is um, I take a couple of days and watch um, how the discussions unfold, what the other guys have to say, and and have a, a close look at, at their arguments before I jump uh, into the discussion. Because um, there are really some opinions, uh, some some issues where I have an opinion but have no idea whether it's really feasible, whether it's it's doable in an actual um, organized play environment. And I like to, to see suggestions by other people because I'm really not the most um, creative person in that regard. And once there have uh, there have been a couple of, of good suggestions, I, I really have a close look at them, and then I will just probably I will probably end up um, quoting a couple of um, uh, posts by other players and um, say. This is what I have in mind for this, but I, I really like the fact uh, that you um, that you've made um, a little sub forum for that and have the issues listed one by one. That really, really makes it uh, a lot easier to go through them and maybe just ignore those where say um, I'm not a player who's just playing for regional wins anyway, so I don't care about prizes, prizes because it doesn't affect me yeah. or tiebreakers, I don't care about tiebreakers, I never end up in, in a tiebreaker situation anyway. So you can just ignore those and, and go to to things that um, are more um, issues that you think have to be addressed. For example, the who, who goes first in match play thing. I, I don't like the fact that it, it should be random all the way, so a random decision for, uh, for all three games, if there are three games. Because I'm usually one who, um, who does not go first, or who, who does not win the coin toss. I always do my, my stats when I'm at the big tournaments, and I think I went first in, in two games out of eight on day one. And there's a good chance I will lose my, my coin toss. So, yeah. I'm not a fan of, of random all the way on this one, but that's really just my, uh, my personal opinion on this one. 
Um, I like what I've read so far. Judge participation is one thing where I think the judge should absolutely be allowed to play up to a certain um, to a certain level. I, I think worlds, uh, it's it's a problem of of logistics really. I'd love to to have the judge be able to play at worlds too, but for this worlds where we had 54 players, where we had more than 25 games in every round. I think the judge will may not be able to play um, his own games a lot. Well, because there were so many rules questions. Yeah, even even when I was running, even running worlds last year, where we only had thirty, it's it's too overwhelming. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd love to have the, the judge play at worlds too, but I think um, for those big tournaments, the, the the sheer numbers will not make it possible for them to to really enjoy playing. Now. Does the opportunity to participate in this discussion, is it meaningful to you or is it you'll take advantage of it because it's there or is it I would rather just, you know, let the people in in the organized play team make the calls that they feel they need to make? What are your feelings on, on even having the opportunity to participate? Well, I think it's it's important to, uh, to have that opportunity because it's always easy to just lean back and then... Uh, crawl out, out of the woodworks when something does not go your way and then complain about things, um, at least make your voice heard. Just use the opportunity and and, and write, what, uh, write your two cents into the discussion. And then even if the majority decides to have it a different way, then you have had the opportunity to to voice your concerns. And um, it's really up to, to every single individual of the community to, to make use of those um, those options they have at the moment. So um, I'm really a fan of, of you doing these all these um, these threats about the issues that have been raised over the year. Well, if if hopefully we're gonna we're gonna run it all through November, so hopefully we'll be able to get some either some consensus or at least some really good ideas on the table, about and then it, yeah. and then in November we'll be running a a survey to. We'll basically go through the threads and come up with the options that we think are feasible or practical, uh-huh. and put them up and ask everybody to vote on you know which options they prefer or which they don't, and then we'll run that through December. And then in in That's the first cool. the first part of 2011, we will go through those results and and look at who voted and and what their participation is and all that kind of stuff. And we'll make some changes to the organized play guide, and then we'll get ready to start running regionals. And so, you know, it's it's five months away, but at least it's it's not that far when you have to start planning stuff. So. Yeah, you have to you have to start early. <laughs> well, I mean, I, Gen Con is in August, and I have to submit our event schedule in January, so mm. I already have to start thinking I about see. it. So, one thing I want to do real quick with you is a random card review. So I'm going to shuffle my dilemma pile. I have a a deck okay. sitting here. I'm going to shuffle my dilemma pile. And peel a card off the top, and we're going to just chat about it real quick. Yeah, sure. Something we did with Brad a couple weeks ago, and I think it might be fun. So Yeah, I like it. The card I get is, oh, Swashbuckler at Heart. Which Swashbuckler is... at Heart. Okay, um, one of my favorite utility dilemmas. Um, I used it a lot in about two years ago when I was uh, at GenCon for Worlds 2008. Um because it's it just um, apart from the fact that it gives you um, two card rows, which is always nice, um, it just screws over so many cheater cards, so many popular cheater cards. Um, 
in all those Borg versus Borg matchups that were very common, especially in Europe um, two years ago, um, it was just brilliant to be able to get those ascertains, all those adapts, all those knowledge and experiences out. And even if they want to play knowledge and experience, at least they cannot use it on another dilemma. So um, I'm a huge fan of that card. I don't always find the um, the slots in my dilemma pals for it, especially now with legacy being such a threat. But um, I really, really like it. And of course, the the image is just golden. Yes. I mean, <laughs> that's. I like everything. I like um, Sulu's, Sulu's face. I know what uh, what John Corbett will say when I uh, when I say I like everything <laughs> about that image. Um, I like those uh, those old TOS consoles in the background. I like the shadow on the wall. So that's just really um, an all around nice dilemma. Yeah, it, it's. It, I think it still has a place, even in a legacy pile. I think it's it especially in yeah. a legacy pile because you're going to be using a lot of skill dilemmas. And yeah, yeah it, it, that's exactly it. I mean, it, if you're going to run a wall, you have to be able to deal with Bridge Officer's Test, either by your ability to cancel it, by your ability to destroy their two leadership personnel, or getting rid of the Bridge Officer's Test. So exactly. if you're going to be able to run some le- some utility dilemmas in your legacy pile, I would strongly argue that Swashbuckler should be one of them. Yeah. So, All right. Is there anything that you would like to talk about? Um, is there anything I would like to talk about? Well, um, my question for you would be, are there any definite plans for the rotation of the World Championships for the, for the past couple of years? For the next couple of years, I'm sorry. Uh, no, but not, no, there are no definite plans, but that does not mean that it won't happen. Uh, okay. We just, we traditionally have not planned more than one year ahead. And Gen Con, Gen Con 2011 will be World Championships. Uh, we're we're going to try to do a big push to get people to come to Gen Con. I really want to. Uh-huh. Uh, Gen Con is very happy with us and what we do, and I want to try to to bring as many players as possible to Gen Con to really, really cement our reputation as an excellent organization that always runs their events and doesn't cause any trouble to make our lives yeah. easier in the future with them. Uh, after that, I mean, there's no question that Worlds in Europe was a huge success. Huge success. And, but there are a lot of factors to consider because, you know, there's a big contingent of players down in Australia. You know, maybe we need to consider them getting a World Championship. I agree completely. Uh, I I think there will be some sort of regular rotation between the three in the future. Uh, I mean, if, if we run, if we run Worlds down in Australia and they draw 20 people and nobody travels, then, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, sure. But as long as we're going to be able to draw attendance, and I don't think that would happen for the record. I really think if we ran it in Australia, they'd pull huge numbers too. But Oh, I'm sure. They have a very dedicated player base from, from what I read on the boards. And um, having met a couple of them at the World this year, uh, I have full confidence in them uh, uh, staging a, a big event and as long as I have the money out and, and time, I'd love to go there. I think what we're at the point now, and it, it's amazing to say this, considering the game has been out of print for over three years, uh, we're at the point now where we have enough large player groups all across the world 
that we may need to switch to a, a bid type of system like they use for the, the Olympics or the World Cup. Not not right. that grandiose, but we might need to say, okay, we're, we're, we're accepting applications for Worlds 2012 or Worlds 2013 uh-huh. now, you know, and, and give people time to put together. We're going to have it here and we're going to do this and this is what we're going to do and contingency plans. And then we decide, you know, maybe two years in advance. So I, I don't want to lock into a, I don't want to promise that it's going to be U.S., Europe, Australia, U.S., Europe, Australia, because that, yeah. that may or may not be possible or practical. Um, I, I definitely don't think that there's any re- reason we can't do that, but I, I think we need to move to a system where maybe Worlds doesn't have to be at Gen Con if it's in the United States. Maybe Worlds could be in Vegas or Minnesota or out in California or in Jersey even. It, it just needs to be some volunteer has to be willing to put in the time and energy to put together exactly. a proposal for it. So, and, and there's no reason it couldn't necessarily be in Europe two years in a row or couldn't be in the United States two years in a row if the, the bids were good enough or the logistics worked out well. So, right. um, but I, I definitely think that over, over the next 10 years, because we're all still going to be doing this in 10 years, I just know. Uh, over the next 10 years, I, I would like to think it would be roughly three in the U.S., three in Europe, three in Australia, and one, who knows, you know, somewhere. But I'd like it to be fair and rotated. So. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't mind uh, having the uh, World Championships at, at Gen Con. Um, it was just, it, it's just such a huge experience for me. I was only there for, for the one time. But it's it's a different experience than uh, that what we had in, in Europe uh, this time. Because Europe, it was, you get together, you play a lot of track, you can get, you go to the bar and, and drink and just hang around and have fun. Um, but Gencon was was different. I'm not saying it was, it's better. It's just different. If you're not the guy who wants to focus on on playing track all the time, then there's so much for you to do. So I love the opportunity of just um, cycling it around and um, and if if players say, okay, I want that whole gaming uh, experience, then I'll go to Gencon. If I just uh, want something else just play track for, for three or four days, um, then maybe I'll go to, to Europe, whatever they're doing there. Yeah, I, so, yeah. I, I want. I, I hope everybody can, can come to, to Gen Con at least once, especially if you play any other type of game. Just, yeah. Every game you can imagine is there. The, the dealer's hall is amazing. And, and, you know, at Gen Con we get a lot of players who come and play two tournaments throughout the weekend because they're, they're doing all sorts of other stuff, but they yeah. want to play track. So they come and play in some of the side events, but then they have the option to go do... Those are the type of players that will come to Gen Con that would never go to right. a, a, yeah. a weekend of just Trek, unless it was in their backyard type of situation. So. Absolutely. Well, all right, Johannes, thank you for coming on and talking about everything. Well, thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, you do great work for us with the, the writing team and everything, and you're a great thank guy, you. so thank you for participating, and we'll see you around the internet. Sure, thanks very much. Hey, you'll be okay, she said. You'll be okay. Like you'll be okay, she said. You'll be okay.